There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plushcare. Plushcare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. Hear the full show on our app, by podcast, or on 96FM.ie. Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. We are in no position to be able to defend ourselves in any way whatsoever. Ireland is defenseless. Every time that it happens, we have to talk about how the good men feel. Help us. Without you backing us, putting it on the air and telling the people how important it is, then it wouldn't have gone anywhere. We're the one for Cork and ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 0818-969696. Extra WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The lines are live. Let's kickstart the conversation. This is the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Right, there are two things about today that you need to know, okay? First of all, it's the Queen Bee's birthday. So good morning to probably the only woman in the world who'd put up with me. And I appreciate it more than you know. Trust me. Uh, and happy birthday. And we'll see you later. And yes, there shall be wine. Well, there most certainly shall be wine. So happy birthday, Queen Bee. And also today, <laughs> yeah, I know, today's Friday the 13th. And I do not have a good track record with Friday the 13th. I have hated it since I was a very small boy. Well, when I say small boy, 10. When I was 10, there were two Friday the 13th in the year. On the first one, I crashed my bike. I went over the handlebars of my bike and landed in a mucky puddle about three or four inches deep and emerged from it soaking wet, covered in mud, cuts, bruises, unit. So that was the first Friday the 13th. The second Friday the 13th that year the same bike the same bike was robbed from outside the local shop so I hate Friday the 13th with an abiding passion 0818 96 96 96 but first of all a story that's been brimming or brewing for a wee while with all the people coming from Ukraine and many many people volunteering to take Ukrainian refugees into their homes. There was talk for a while of would there be some payment, some financial incentive for people to take Ukrainian refugees into their home because with the best will in the world, if you're going to invite a family to stay in your home, probably a traumatised family, you know, there are costs involved in that. Political 
correspondent Sean Defoe joins me. It's going to happen, isn't it, Sean? Good morning. Good uh, morning, it is, yeah. So the Cabinet Subcommittee on Ukraine met yesterday evening and they agreed to sign off on a flat rate payment of €400 Euro a month. So this has to go to the full Cabinet now on Tuesday and it's going to need legislation after that. So while it's happening, it's still probably going to take uh, quite a bit of while. Some sources of government saying it could take a couple of months to actually get it up and running. So even though it feels like we've been talking about this for a couple of months, still a couple of months later uh, until it's actually going to happen. But what it will mean is that every household who's taken in Ukrainian refugees is going to get the this 400 euro a month it likely won't be means tested in any sort of way so as it was put to me whether it's a, a mansion or an apartment if you've taken them in there will be this sort of flat fee in order to to help cover some of those expenses still a lot of detail to be worked out for the cabinet how is it going to be administered are you going to have to apply how mm. do you, you prove it for example and so that people aren't trying to gain the system or anything a lot of that to be worked out and um, but it is definitely coming down the line how are revenue going to handle this because that'll be income it will be income now. Ministers have stressed before that it's it's going to be tax free. There will be absolutely no point in offering people four hundred euro a month and then saying, by the way, we're taking back twenty or forty percent of it in tax. And so, how the actual mechanism of how they're going to do that and give it to people without having any tax implications, again, still has to be worked out by revenue and by the Department of Social Protection. But the the whole point is that it will be tax free because it's it's still not a massive amount of money, depending on obviously how many refugees you're taking in. But if you've even taken in two, if you've taken in a mother and a child, as, as many uh, people who have seem to be in that situation. I mean, 400 a month with the way inflation is going at the moment and the cost of everything is probably only roughly going to, to, to break even on the extra bit you'd be spending, you know. A number of the Ukrainians who've come here have stated their determination, Sean, to work. And many of them, as we've discovered, are people, skilled IT professionals and, and the like. So they're in a position or will be in a position to pay rent, so you won't be able to claim rent from anybody, obviously, while you're getting this payment, will you? Uh, that hasn't actually been worked out yet and whether you'd be able to do both. I think the payment will probably still go ahead even if the, the person is working in the house. The way it was put to me, it's less of a sort of a you know a rental payment or whatever as sort of a recognition payment if you have uh, had the charity to open up your doors, particularly early days when a lot of people, I suppose, were a bit sceptical about doing it, then you will get this payment and then that wouldn't be conditional on whether or not the, the refugee you've taken in has managed to find work. So as far as I've heard, there's been no conditions put on it. It's just going to be this sort of a recognition payment that will be given to everybody. But mm. again, that's something that they, they might well look at when it goes to the full cabinet. So, so, so they've said they're going to do it. It now has to go through cabinet. They then have to figure out how they're going to do it. So there's a bit of work left in this. There won't, there's not going to be 400 quid dropping in anybody's bank account for, for at least a, a couple of months, I would suspect. Yeah, at least. So obviously Kevin has to sign off. They have to then figure out exactly, like you're saying, how they'll administer it. Then the legislation has to be drawn up and then it has to go before the Oireachtas. And legislation, even with the best will in the world, is quite slow in the Oireachtas. So if this was passed by, what are we now? We're coming up on the middle of May. Uh, I would say it might be passed before. They will be passed before the summer recess, but it could be looking at maybe the first payments at the end of June, July, most realistically. Sean, while I have you, the unseemly row continues about the maternity hospital and we've been focusing on it here the last couple of days trying to get to grips with the two sides of the story as it were trying to to see who's making the better points and for our listeners trying to inform them where it's all coming from the the, the cabinet seems determined now to go ahead with it despite the reservations from many quarters 
Uh, yeah, I think the most likely thing that will happen is the cabinet will sign off on this on Tuesday, it's despite reservations even in, among some in government, some around the cabinet table, but also some government backbenchers saying, come here, why don't we just take a little bit more of a pause? I, I think where we're going to come down on a solution is one that will probably uh, keep even a lot of the detractors relatively happy because where the argument seems to have boiled down to is this term clinically appropriate mm. uh, in the contracts that all uh, legally permissible and clinically appropriate uh, procedures would be carried out and yesterday in the Dáil, the Health Minister Stephen Donnelly agreed to provide a clarification to the Oireachtas Health Committee as to what exactly clinically appropriate would mean because the fear from Peter Boylan and others obviously is that clinically appropriate gives a lot of power in the hands of the doctor and not a lot of power in the hands of the patient and if for example there was a Conservative Health Minister who could appoint Conservative members of the hospital board in the future that the definition of clinically appropriate uh, could be quite different so I think you'll see the Minister bring that forward and he, he said he didn't wouldn't regard that as a a major change to the contract which is what the government has said it won't be doing before Tuesday is providing any major change but if you could provide a, a kind of a comprehensive list of the services or even take it out uh, Simon Gar he's uh, one of the leading solicitors yeah. and, and commentating on this he was also before an Oireachtas committee last night and he said just take out the phrase clinically appropriate and that for him would solve an awful lot of the issues because we know there's no realistic prospect of the state buying the land at this stage without a very lengthy and very expensive CPO and potentially very um, inflammatory uh, CPO process that could, might not even result in the state owning the land. Yeah. So if you took out the phrase clinically appropriate and just said this hospital will provide uh, all legally permissible um, services to women, that would solve for him a lot of the problems. So I think that's the, the sort of clarification you'll see between now and Tuesday. And it won't keep everybody happy. Mm. There's still concerns among a lot of opposition and a lot of women about the ownership of the site. But I think it might be enough to maybe get it over the line, certainly in government. Certainly politically. Just on the phone, Sean, and I'm, I'm not sure you, you can answer this, but we'll put it to you anyway. With regard to taking in refugees, and people have done it already, and I assume will continue to do it. What's the story with your house insurance, your liability insurance, when you have someone from Ukraine living in your house? Do you know? Uh, that's a very good, good question. I, I don't know, actually. I presume... Uh, <laughs> Because if they're actual residents in the house, perhaps it wouldn't have to change. Uh, but I, I'm not going to okay. say one way or the other because I, I wouldn't know for sure. Just check I, with your insurance. I think I that's probably the best that. thing to do. Consult with the house insurance expert on that. Sean, thank you very much. Sean Defoe, a political correspondent. So they're, they're going to sign off on this €400 Euro a month payment if you're taking a refugee Ukrainian refugee or refugees into your home, 400 euro a month. It won't be means tested. So whether you work in Centra or you're a high court judge, uh, you will be able to get that 400 quid, not means tested. They'll start paying it out, Sean reckons, in, in the summertime. But that's a very good question about your insurance. If you have someone staying in your spare room who's a refugee from Ukraine, what is the position with your house insurance? A very, very good point. Are their possessions covered? Are they covered? What is the story with house insurance? That is something that we might need to look into, actually. Separately from the payment, separately from however you support them or they support themselves or the government helps you to support them, what is the position with your house insurance? Like you're covered for a guest if a friend stays over or anything like that. Even if they stay for a while, you're covered. Oh, we will, we will try, let, let us find, let us try to find out. Give us some time on that.
And let us find out if we can if we can um, get clarification on that with regard to your house insurance. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. Can I just mention uh, the Saint Columbus National Girls School with facility for deaf children? Great school, wonderful school in Douglas. They have a sponsored walk Sunday fifteenth. They want to raise money to buy a small bus that would be used to bring children to activities and trips throughout the year. Okay. Doing that Sunday. St. Columbus Girls School with Facility for Deaf Children in Douglas. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie The Premier League Live, powered by Talk Sport. Join me, Trevor Welch, exclusively online at 96FM.ie Sunday, May 22nd is our special end-of-season show. Coverage, commentary and interviews. Get all the dramatic twists and turns on the final day of the Premier League. Number one, that's top of the league. The Premier League Live. With now, your sport on your terms. Stream only the games that matter to you most. With now. Exclusively online at 96fm.ie or download the Cork's 96fm app. In 2011, we made the first Revive Active Supplement in Galway. Now, it's Ireland's number one dietary supplement, used all over the world by people who want to get the most out of life. Wherever you are in life, there's a Revive Active Super Supplement to support your immune system, heart, joints, energy, and even to help you through the menopausal years. Ask in your local health store or pharmacy about Revive Active and find out why more people rely on Revive Active Super Supplements to get the most out of life. Visit reviveactive.com. Looking to upgrade your car in 2022? Look no further than Ireland's number one Mazda dealer, O'Brien's Garage Middleton. Choose between the all-electric Mazda MX-30, the Mazda CX-30 or CX-5. Pre-order your 222 Mazda now for July delivery. If new is not for you, or if you're looking to sell your car, call our sales team or visit O'Brien'sGarage.ie. O'Brien's Garage Middleton, officially Ireland's number one Mazda dealer. Oh, this delivery guy looks nice. Hi. How's it going? Package there for you. Oh, cheers. All right, thanks, thanks for that. <sighs> he has my number. Maybe he'll text. Finding the right one can be difficult. 96FM Dating will help match you with someone that suits. Our listeners are genuine people who just want to meet someone nice. Going on dates is harder now, but you can still connect and get to know each other. Register for free today at 96FMDating.ie. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083-396-9696. On Cork's 96FM. Now the trial of 38-year-old Karen Harrington uh, for the murder of two-year-old Santina Cawley uh, is entering its 13th day today. And it is close to an end. But there's a lot to be done Yes, the judge yesterday began what he calls, or what is called, his charge on the jury. Jury is seven men and four women. That's continuing this morning. Our reporter, Maureen Tuig, uh, will be in court. Maureen, good morning. 
Good morning, PJ. Yeah, exactly. The the charge began yesterday. It was around half ten yesterday morning that it started. And he began by, I suppose, you know, he told the, the jury to cast a cold eye over the evidence. He said, you know, they need to approach the evidence in a clinical, dispassionate manner. And, you know, that you cannot waver into conjecture or speculation and that the burden of proof is at all times on the prosecution. Now, he told the jury, you know, it's so important that all of their voices are heard when they are in their deliberating uh, time. And he said, you know, everyone must be heard and everyone's view carries equal weight. So as you say, it started yesterday. He went in then to summarise all of the evidence uh, from, as you say, it's day 13, but over all the last days of the last days, trial from day one up to all the evidence he, he started to summarize that yesterday and uh, but I suppose like I can take you back to the closing statements from the counsel for the prosecution and counsel for the defense and what they said to the jury in in their closing mm-hmm, statements mm-hmm. so um, Mr. Sean Galan is senior counsel for the prosecution and he said that Karen Harrington was like somebody walking between raindrops convincing herself that she was not getting wet but he said the raindrops were the evidence and in this case and that Miss Harrington was drenched in it. He said that there was a cloud that needs to be dispelled in relation to Michael Cawley, who's the father of Santina Cawley. And he emphasised that Mr Cawley was in no way responsible for the death of Santina and that it was desperately unfair for wink or nudge or hints to be allowed to hang there. He emphasised that the trial was not an inquiry into parenting or relationships. He said, and this is a quote, he said, it's not a morality play. The narrow focus is what happened to Santina Cawley that morning. The issue here, he said, is straightforward. He said, it's not easy, it is tragic. Now, for the other side, Brendan Grehan is counsel for the defence. And see, he said that his client's consistent position was that she, being Miss Karen Harrington, did not cause Santina Cawley's injuries. He suggested, PJ, that it was a case where the jury should be left with a doubt and he urged the jury to find his client not guilty. Now, Mr. Grehan uh, said that Karen was a person in her 30s with no history of violence and he said that her family vouched for her caring nature with children. So they were in the closing statements that both sides made to the jury before Mr. Justice Michael McGrath began his charge. Now, we expect this morning it's an earlier start time. Usually this... Uh, these days in, in the the Central Criminal Court have been starting at 11. Yeah. Yesterday went to half 10. This morning it's 10 o'clock. Mm-hmm. So the, um, we expect him to continue his charge to the jury this morning. And while obviously no one can be certain, there is the the, the chance that, that the jury will be sent out to begin their deliberations in this trial. OK, well, if you get any word on that before midday, Maureen, I know you'll come back to us and let us know. Absolutely. I will, of course, PJ. Thanks very much. That's Maureen Tuig, uh, Cork. 96 FM news reporter who will be in court today uh, at the closing stages of the trial of Karen Harrington uh, who denies the murder of Santina Cawley somebody asked me yesterday off air just uh, would I ever explain this term charging the jury and I'm reminded of one of the very first murder trials I covered it's a number of years ago now and I remember being sitting there and thinking to myself what does it actually mean charging the jury because it's obviously the accused is charged with something. What? What? It was the great judge Paul Carney, who's no longer with us now. He's, he passed away a number of years ago in the Central Criminal Court. He, he explained what he was about to do. He told the jury, okay, you have now listened to all of the evidence. You're the only people who have listened to everything. Me and you, the judge and the jury. 
I'm now going to go through that evidence with you piece by piece. And I'm going to summarize everything that you've been told for you one more time. I'm then going to go through the law and I'm going to go through where you may go in terms of a verdict. And I will explain all that to you. And then I will place you in charge. The jury is in charge. So once the judge has finished the summing up, the explanation of the law, the outline of what verdicts are permitted, then the jury is in charge. And that's what it means. The jury is being placed in charge of the case. It's an interesting term used in the courts. Thanks, Moraid. We'll come back to you. If there's any development, we'll, we'll let people know. 0818... 96, 96, 96. On Friday the 13th, Kate said, I know, it's a very lucky day for me. I won €2,000 on one Friday the 13th on Euro Millions. Yeah, you had my ticket, Kate. See, that's it, you see. You you probably had my ticket. (laughs) Then another Friday the 13th, I won another 1000 The quiz that I was at, I was the only person who knew the answer to a question. So here's to Friday the 13th, because I'm hoping it'll be another lucky day for me. See, there you go, Kate, you see. I had... That you had the ticket I should have had. I hate Friday the 13th. Always have and I think probably always will. Just on the payments for housing Ukrainian refugees. Talking to Sean Defoe a few minutes ago. The government will sign off on €400 Euro a month. There'll have to be legislation and all that palaver to get it, to get it done. But they're going to do it. But everybody paying someone's mortgage, will their tax relief be affected if they're getting a payment. That's a good point. If you're paying a mortgage, you're entitled to tax relief on that mortgage. At source now, it's taken off at source. So would that be affected? Does anybody know that? be interesting to find that out. Is your tax, your mortgage tax relief, is that affected by this 400 quid? Also, I wonder how different the payments would be if you house one refugee or maybe a family of four or five Government have a habit of stepping down the payment as numbers go up. That would make it less attractive. Now, the impression I got, caller, from what Sean was saying was that it would be a flat payment. I don't think it's per person. It's just a flat payment. I may have been, I may have picked him wrong there. The question that I was going to ask, though, would it encourage you to take somebody in? I know we've got a lot of people have taken Ukrainian refugees in and fair play to each and every one of you. And if you've got a spare room or a couple of rooms, you know, you're a, you're a very decent and kind person for doing that. Does the money make a difference? Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie. Whatever sport you support, we want you to grab that jersey and stick it on for Radiothon. Stick it on for Radiothon. If you need a light to shine I'll be there. The Cork's 96FM Giving for Living Radiothon, supporting Cork Cancer Services. This year, Friday, May 27th, is Jersey Day. We want you to hold a Jersey Day. Hold a Jersey Day. Get together with family, friends or colleagues and wear your favourite jersey to raise funds for Cork Cancer Services. For more, see 96fm.ie. The 2022 Giving for Living Radiothon returns May 26th to 28th only on Cork's 96FM. Can we just talk? 
The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now. 0818 96 96 On Cork's 96FM. So yesterday we were talking about the National Maternity Hospital. I was asking Sean Defoe there earlier on what he thinks will happen. And Sean's view is that there will be a compromise, a written up compromise that will please most people. And that'll go through the cabinet next week. So the arrangement that they have right now will stand with a little bit of change in the paperwork. Now, yesterday, Dr. Peter Boylan, a former master of the hospital, was on this programme expressing his concerns with the deal. Uh, previous day, uh, it was uh, Social Democrats TD Holly Cairns. But Dr. Boylan made a couple of points with regard to the deal to hand about which he was quite concerned. Uh, One being, he said that the state will spend a billion euro on a new hospital and then hand it over to be run by a private company. That's how he sees it. He also raised a point that, look, there's a lot of paperwork we haven't seen. That the Vatican, because of the ownership of the land, the Vatican had to approve its handing over or its lease, the Vatican had to approve that lease. We haven't seen that paperwork. And he was wondering, well, why why shouldn't we see that paperwork? And that's why one of the reasons Dr. Boylan was against this plan. We were contacted then by uh, Deputy Colin Bork, um, and I know that we are hoping to speak with Dr. Rona Mahoney, who takes the other side of the argument, but... uh, Deputy Bork wanted to make a few points. Colm, you favour this deal, um, but is that up against the arguments made by Dr Boylan? Good morning. Good morning. First of all, I think it's important that we clarify. The nuns have gone completely out of the equation here. They, the reason they wrote to the Vatican, because when any religious order is transferring more than 3.5 million, they have to get consent from the Vatican. So the nuns um, got that consent, and that's a, just a formal letter hereby consenting where they were transferring the land to a new company, which is the St. Vincent's Hospital Group. So the nuns have totally divested themselves of the land. It's now in St. Vincent's Hospital Group. And then in relation to the state involvement, the state is getting, the HSE are taking a 299-year lease from the St. Vincent's Hospital Group. So, you know, this is a big argument about is a lease as good as ownership? And I'm, you know, been involved in conveyancing for over 25 years. And anyone who's buying a property with a 299-year lease, that is good title to the property. And, you know, Simon McGarr was on yesterday in the Health Committee and he acknowledged that he was not a property law expert, yet his opinion is being widely quoted in uh, in the media and in social media. And I think it's important to quote in the, in the actual lease itself. It sets out, and it's clause 6-1 of the lease. Uh, the landlord hereby covenants with the tenant, and the tenant in this case is the HSE or the lessee, that so long as the tenant pays the rents and observes and performs covenants and the conditions of the lease, the tenant may hold and enjoy the premises and the rights hereby granted um, peacefully Mm -hmm. during the term without any unlawful interruption by the landlord or any person lawfully claiming under or in trust for the landlord. So in other words, 
the HSE are taking a lease, 299 year lease. They have the owners, they have the ownership of the property for 299 years. They have the ownership of the building. Mm-hmm. The HSE then are granting a license to the new NMH yeah. board. Okay? So, in other words. It's a private company. It's a private company, but it's. No, no, but they're only granting a license for them to provide the services. Mm. And but it's not re- going to be a state hospital then, Colm, is it? No, it is a state hospital because of the fact that it, this is a voluntary hospital. And remember now with the NMH, the National Maternity Hospital, are surrendering their property that they currently have to the state. So, in other words, they're moving in under licence from the HSE. So the HSE will own the property for 299 years at a rent of €10 Euros per annum. So that's the rent that they're paying. So now you look at the oh, other. No, no. What about another? What about something we've heard with regard to that ten euro? Yes. That ten euro is conditional on a certain set of terms and conditions not being breached. Should they be breached, it jumps up to eight hundred thousand. Oh yeah, euro. but but let's look at what the covenants that we we're talking about there. So that the the when the St. Vincent's Hospital Group are demising the property, in other words, this, the word demise is used when you're doing leasehold title as opposed to transfer. The tenant, like under the six covenants in there, in other words, that as long as this premises is used for the provision of public health care facilities, that the lease is not assigned without the consent of the landlord, that there is no change in the permitted use without the consent of the landlord. In other words, the primary use of this is public health care. And that's basically what the covenant is about. And the the rents, this thing is being floated, like that the rent suddenly jumps for by 800,000. But it'll only jump to 800,000 if in the event of the HSE suddenly deciding we're going to you put this into apartments or put it into a shopping centre. This is about, um, and basically uh, subparagraph D provides the premises is actively used is actively used throughout the premises for the purpose of public health services, mm. safe for any reasonable period of non-use due to repair, reinstatement, or other bona fide reason. And obviously, you see, why do people not trust that deputy? Well, you see, I think you know it's interesting when Simon McGar was in yesterday in the health committee. He acknowledged that he wasn't a property expert. We've had Mason Hayes and Curran who are acting for. Um, Mason Hazinger and Philip Lee and co-solicitors who are um, dealing with uh, conveyancing law and experts in this whole area are the people who are advising the HSE and the DMH, NMH, um, mm-hmm. uh, the National Maternity Hospital. They have the expertise. They're protecting, making sure that the state's interest is protected. And the lease is a 299 year lease. Even the premises you occupy there in 96FM, I would imagine, is held under a lease as well. And the current National Maternity Hospital is held under a lease from the Pembroke Mm -hmm. Estate. So, leasehold title, and you go around Cork City, and a a huge proportion, in fact, about 60 to 70% of the property in Cork City is held under a leasehold title. And it is is complex. But, But here's something that came up in my conversation with Dr. Boylan, and he made the same points elsewhere. As regard to, and just bear with me for a moment on this now, as regard to the paperwork regarding the transfer where the Vatican was involved, Dr. Boylan's point is, it doesn't matter whether it's a one-page letter or a hundred pages of documents, 
we haven't seen that paperwork. But that's because... Hold on, Colin. Yep. We don't have eyes on that paperwork. That That's a fact, is it not? not yes, yes or no? Yes or no? Yes, we don't have eyes on it. But the state was not... Does it, no, no. We don't have... No, we don't have eyes on that paperwork. Yes or no? We don't. No. Okay, good. So, next question. You're a, you're a solicitor, and like you said, you've done a lot of conveyancing. So, I'm buying a piece of land, Colin. Okay? And you're my solicitor. And your job, I'm sure you'd agree with me, is to make sure that all of the paperwork regarding that land, be it from the vendor, from me, from everybody else, that's all in order. And I sign nothing without you telling me, yeah, PJ, that's okay. There's a drawer full of paperwork dealing with the previous holders of the land that we've not had eyes on. Are you telling me you tell me sign that lease? You tell me walk no, away, no, Colin. You tell no, me walk away. No, let me reply to that, Peter. First of all, the issue in racial Vatican was between the nuns, St. Vincent's uh, sisters, who transferred the land to the um, St. Vincent's yes. Hospital Group. St. Vincent's Hospital Group have good title. They are not restricted other than that it is used for medical mm-hmm. uh, reasons, right? We haven't seen the okay, paperwork. Okay, but, but just let me explain, um, Peter, this. We are not party to that deed of uh, conveyance or that deed of conveyance between the St. Vincent sisters to the um, to the St. Vincent's Hospital Group. There is nothing in this lease. There is nothing in this lease. And remember, we're talking about uh, two legal firms who are acting in this case. There is one for the HSE, the other one is for National Maternity Hospital, who are satisfied that the lease is providing um, safe and secure entitlement to the use of this property for full comprehensive maternity services uh, in, that are that is authorised mm. under the legislation in this country. And yet we and haven't had seen, we haven't uh, had sight of a whole bunch of paperwork. But there's nothing There's nothing in that. How do we that, know that we haven't seen it? But because of the fact that if, if there was a restriction in that conveyance from the St. Vincent's um, sisters to the um, to the holding company, then that would have to have been disclosed there is no restriction in the lease being given to the HSE. Would you let me buy a property? If you yes, were my solicitor, would. would you let me buy a property with paperwork I hadn't seen? Yes, if, I, if it was a situation that there was full disclosure to me that there is no restrictions of any description. And remember, we're getting a 299-year lease. You're taking it in trust, though. You haven't seen the paper, paperwork. No, 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 we're not taking it in trust. We're, we're actually getting a lease which is equivalent to buying the freehold interest. And let's go down through the compulsory purchase order issue because Stephen Dodd, senior counsel, has been quoted that the state, you know, should go away and do a compulsory purchase order. And then if you go through his opinion, and I've gone through his opinion, which is 66 pages long, and in page 62 of his opinion, he clearly sets out that if we were to proceed by way of compulsory purchase order, and I, he puts out, and I, I quote what he says, however, significant issues. He's setting out that we'd have to go through a compulsory process under the Health Act of 1947. However, he then goes on and he says, however, significant issues relate to whether the procedure under the Health Act 1947 is constitutional in affording sufficient independence in the process for confirming a compulsory process order. So he is the 
person being quoted that we should go by way of compulsory purchase order, yet his mm. opinion is clearly setting out that the state may not succeed. And in fact, if you look at that case in relation to the IDA, where the IDA tried to, there was a, an effort by the state to acquire land, I think, in, in there's a Wigtor Kildare, um, and the thing was take to the court, and in fact, the court sided in favour of the landowner. Likewise, St. Vincent's Hospital Group could easily say, we want to do further expansion of our existing services. We're yeah. not prepared to provide this land. And in other words, as well, that even if you go down the issue that a compulsory purchase order is placed, then we'd have to pay market value for the property. Instead, we are getting the lease of the property for 299 years at 10 euros okay. a year without having with, to pay. With, 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 and let's say, with terms and conditions that apply. Just on the clinical side of it, and well, we have... Terms and conditions, Peter, is important to relate, is that the terms and conditions only relate to, only relate to, um, that it must be used for medical purposes. They're mm-hmm. the only terms and conditions. Mm-hmm. But what's to say that a medical purpose won't be agreeable? But, but, but Peter, that's covered by the life. For, for example, just call them here. Someone's on the phone here and said a perfectly healthy woman carrying a perfectly healthy fetus wants a clinical abortion as provided by law. Will that be allowed? Can you give a hundred percent guarantee that will be allowed? Absolutely. Remember, there's all of the clinicians, all of the clinicians in the National Maternity Hospital, 52 of them are fully in support of this move. Over 400 doctors across the country have signed a petition. These are all the people who are working frontline in relation to maternity services have come out and fully support this proposal. And the, all of the services that are provided under Irish law are currently being provided in the National Maternity Hospital mm-hmm. and that will continue when the transfer occurs. And I think it's important to realise, remember, it's the HSE holds the lease not DNMH, um, the new organisation. And the other thing as well, I think it's important to outline that the Articles of Association of DNMH, DAC, which is the new um, company being set up, under Article 4, the memorandum makes it clear that all other subsidiary and ancillary objects are incidental and ancillary to the attainment of the principal object and therefore must be carried out without... That, that's heavy law now without, for listeners. No, no, but, but hold on a second, no, but without religious ethos. So in other words, all of what the work that they do uh, as, a, as a group within the hospital must be carried out without religious ethos. Like, and that's set out quite clearly in the memorandum. I, I don't wish to raise a name, but, but I saw it come up in, in, in discussion. Could another Savita Halapanavar tragedy happen in this new hospital? Could it happen? No, because I think the if you look at the, the record of the National Maternity Hospital over the years, there's been a voluntary hospital, they've been to the forefront in, 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 in assisting and progressing the care for women for in all areas of maternity care and they have been to the forefront in relation to research and everything else and they have been given the lead in this area. But, this but, but, a, but a former hospital. master, Dr. Boylan, says he spent 40 years fighting the church and he would fear for the future. But, you know, I suppose it, it has occurred that the church has 
intervened in the past and we've seen this where it has intervened in relation to legislation down through the years uh, and it had substantial powers even in local parishes had substantial yes. powers. That has totally changed and remember the legislation has also changed in relation to terminations where in yeah. fact that is being provided. Would, would, would you be Catholic. confident Colum, Colum, if you had a daughter would you be confident that she could receive any treatment she wanted in this hospital, any treatment. Absolutely, because I think they've been to the forefront. I think, as well, I think the it's important that, remember we're talking about 52 medical consultants who are to the forefront in providing a care, uh, have a huge um, experience and expertise, and they want to continue on with that work without any mm-hmm. restriction. And remember as well, you know, medicine is changing all the time. A procedure that was a relevant, that's relevant today, may not be relevant tomorrow, that there are other procedures coming in and new procedures. And it's important that we give that freedom to the consultants to make sure that they can right. provide the yeah. most up-to-date well, medical care. Is there people. ever going to be a circumstance <clears throat> whereby we would have to, or the hospital, is there ever, ever an, a, a chance the hospital would have to get approval for something to be done, religious approval for something. No, because the, the, as I said to you, the license is going to be from the HSE. The HSE is a state organisation, and it is obliged to implement the term of medical care in accordance with the legislation that's mm-hmm. in this country. Therefore, there is no way that the hospital can be restricted. But the HSE won't be running the hospital. No, the St. Vincent Hospital they, Group will. But the the group are answerable to the HSE because that's who's granting the license and that's who holds the lease and that who, who owns the actual So property. the HSE has the power to turn around and say to the St. Vincent Hospital Group, and correct me if I'm wrong here, this is what you tell me, what I understand, I don't care, we don't care whether you like this or not, uh, whether it goes with ethos or not, we approve it, you do it. Absolutely, because this is what, and in fairness to the to the to the National Journey Hospital, they've been away ahead of a, a lot of the HSE facilities in relation to the care okay. that's being provided and making sure that the the appropriate treatments are provided. And I think that's the good thing. And if you look at the three maternity hospitals in Dublin, there are three voluntary hospitals. They're uh, independent from the HSE in real terms, but they require their funding. But they've been really pushing out the boat in relation to delivering of medical care. Mm-hmm. Uh, over a long number of years. Could and as I said, you know, remember my own family worked in the Rotunda um, and pushed through um, changes there um, while she was there. So, I mean, I'm just very much aware of the challenges that are there in relation to providing um, maternity care, but it's important that the best quality care is there. Mm-hmm. And remember, one of the wards in, in the National Maternity Hospital at the moment has 14 beds oh, in yeah. with inadequate toilets. No, I think no, no, one's ad, no one is arguing for a second definitely that, that that this development is not needed I'm going to wrap it there Colm and okay, I think we've tried, tried to clarify some few bits and pieces and I appreciate you spending some time and taking our our, our, our questions there that's Deputy Colin Burke um, and he is a solicitor of many many years experience and, and he seems to be okay with the paperwork that Dr Boylan wasn't okay with, if you know what I'm getting at. Because his argument is that other legal documents, to use a word, assuage that concern. 
again, I'm as con- I, well, I thought it was clear yesterday. Now I'm not so clear anymore. Under what circumstances would the rent rise to 850,000? Why is that clause there? Yeah, he explained that, I think. That's if you were to go and try and do something with it that wasn't in the original terms of the lease. Like turn it into a supermarket. That's Colin Burke's take on it. What happened to Thornton Hall? As far as I know, it was never used for a new prison. Says Ed, I wouldn't even go there, Ed. That's so long ago. But I, I, I do remember the story. I do remember the story. Your thoughts welcome. We have the most wonderful facility in Cork, the most wonderful service run by a good friend of this radio station, uh, Michal Sheridan, formerly, of course, of Mercy Hospital Foundation. He runs the Irish Community Air Ambulance Service. And while the paramedics are paid for and all of that, the service itself runs purely on fundraising. And there's a call gone out now for national state funding to be put into this air ambulance, which is just a wonderful, wonderful facility. Independent councillor John Paul O'Shea uh, from the Cantor Mallow, Mallow District joins me. John Paul, it is ridiculous that there's no state backing for this, isn't it? Good morning. Good morning, PJ. Yes, and good morning, listeners. Yeah, well, I suppose the Irish Community Air Ambulance, uh, PJ, is actually based in my own district in Cantor Mallow. It's based in Raccoon. And I know full well the service that goes on there. I've visited many times. And you just mentioned to me, all Sheridan is the new CEO of the uh, Irish Community Air Ambulance there in Raccoon. And there's been a big drive in the last number of months to, to try and get some state funding uh, for this. Because when this was set up, it was set up based on, um, you know, responding to the, uh, a number of calls that might come in from the Munster region. Um, but the figures are startling. You know, they responded to 512 um, call-outs last year alone. And given the fact that it costs about three and a half thousand euro for every time that um, Irish Community Air Ambulance um, gets up into the air, um, you're talking about an overall cost of about two million euro per annum. So, like, no charity in the world would be able to fund that uh, PJ. So it's it's just surpassed itself in the success. It's been involved in many, many accident, road accidents, responding to road accidents, uh, farming incidents, equestrian incidents, right across the Munster region. And uh, it has saved many, many lives. And I know for a fact, because uh, I've met many of these people who are, who've come back to the Air Ambulance base in Raccoon and have thanked the staff uh, and the people involved for saving their lives. And I think, you know, there's been a, a quite a good focus in the last number of months in terms of trying to get say, state funding for it. I know the Minister for Health, uh, Stephen Donnelly, um, is bringing um, the matter forward to government. Uh, but I think as a council, um, you know, particularly as the local councillors here, are very anxious that we would maintain the service. Mm-hmm. Um, because particularly during COVID, uh, PGA, as you know yourself, a lot of charities found it very hard to fundraise because they couldn't, there were mm-hmm. no events happening. Uh, now, in fairness, the government did step in at that stage and are funding them uh, through the COVID monies that are available through Europe. Uh, so they are getting some funding at present, uh, but that's not static. It's not permanent. And uh, I think a proposal needs to be brought forward to government now to fund this because this is complementing our national ambulance service um, or rapid response vehicles that go out to all these incidents. And when they are, are called to an incident, um, you know, they can get from, um, you know, the bounds of Notting Gree on the Kerry border to CUH within 10 minutes. Uh, with that, with that patient. Correct me if I'm wrong here, John Paul, but the paramedics, the wonderfully skilled, gifted paramedics who who staff this service, they're paid. Their job is paid. Their work is paid for. They but are the, because they're employees of the National Ambulance Service. But everything else is not paid so, for. So, so um, they've got to fundraise for the base in Ratcool. Yep. They've got to fundraise to use the chopper, and they've got to fundraise to pay the pilot. So all of that 
has to be raised through charitable fund for a service that is a backup to the National Ambulance Service. That's correct. And, uh, you know, I think it's, you know, when, when there are being taxed with so many incidents uh, in the last uh, year and, tw- and two years, in particular PJ, it is clear now that it's not going to be just an ad hoc service or something that's going to be used four or five times a year. <clears throat> it's been used um, 500 times last year, and that's an indication of how successful and how dependent our, our country is, and Munster in particular are, in a service like the Irish Community Air Ambulance. So I think it's important, um, you know, that, you know, our legislators and our TDs and our ministers, and our, uh, particularly our Minister of Health, links in with um, the National Ambulance Service, yeah. links in with the Irish Community Air Ambulance. And in fairness to them, they are, but I think it's high time now a decision was made so we can secure the future of it. And you uh, say two to two and a half million a year would do it? Yes. Well, based on the fact that there's three and a half thousand uh, per call-out, um, by the time the chopper gets off the ground, goes to the incident, comes back, uh, that's what it's costing. So the realities are here. We need that service. Uh, we need it to continue. It has proven to be a very beneficial service. It has saved many lives in the last 12 months in comp- uh, complimenting our National Ambulance staff. So it must uh, be put on the footing now where we have a service-level agreement uh, between the Department of Health and the Irish Community Air Ambulance so we can provide a service into the future. Okay. Leave it there. Thank you. That's Councillor John Paul O'Shea from Canturk Mallow uh, Division of Cork County Council. So, the 512 missions last year. There's people, I've no doubt, listening to me this morning whose lives were saved. There's people listening to me whose friends or families' lives were saved. And for about 3 million, which I, when you look at the budget, look at the money we spend on health in this country. About three. Look at the money we spend on stuff that doesn't need three million. You get no argument from me on that funding. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. Can we just talk? The opinion line on Corks ninety six FM with the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. Hear the full show on our app, by podcast, or on 96FM.ie. The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 0818 96 96 96. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96FM.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. I talked about Brooke at Eurovision last night and a lot of people believe she was robbed. I'll get to some of your comments in a while. Two giants of Eurovision have their birthdays today. The rock and roll kid, Paul Harrington, celebrates his birthday as does the Eurovision king, the all-time king of Eurovision, Johnny Logan celebrates his birthday today. Paul is they're both in their 60s. I couldn't put an exact number on it now but they're both I think Paul is the younger of the two for sure Uh, but I'm not too sure uh, what ages they actually are they both have their birthdays today probably they don't want to talk about their age at this point in time 0818 96 96 96 quite a few of you still doubting where you are, doubting where you stand with regard to the National Maternity Hospital and I'll come back to all of that one comment I just want to read out now at this point though and I'm just going to leave it out there for what it's worth see if anyone wants to respond to it I'm not going to respond it to myself until maybe later it says 
you must be the biggest doubting Thomas. I know you're a journalist, but I can think of many reasons why there might be a need for privacy in the Vatican documentation. You just have to trust the government on the issue. And there's many more besides, and I will come back to them. But you might remember, was it Wednesday, Fee? I think it might have been Wednesday. Someone sent us in two lines from a poem and said, just one line actually, and said, "'Twas annoying the hell out of them that this lines from a poem was in their head and they couldn't get it out of their head and they didn't know what it was or where they'd heard it, but it was just in their head and it was bugging them. And they asked us, could we find it? The things we asked, the things that people ask us. However, I read it out and the line from the poem was, the sea said to the land, you've taken from me the one darling I had. The sea said to the land, you've taken from me the one darling I had. We kind of figured it was a seafaring poem and there'd be a lot of poets who were done seafaring work and some names were suggested to us. But in the end, the caller also contacted UCC. And I'm joined by Aoife Dowling from the UCC School of English. Aoife, good morning. Good morning, PJ. You found it. I found it, yes. I came into work uh, the other day, uh, yesterday in fact, and saw it on, on the School of Eng- English Twitter feed and uh, found it within a couple of minutes. What is it? So it's a poem by Monk Gibbon who, who wrote it in 1952, so quite a quite a way back really, um, and I found it on, on Google Books. So uh, I don't really know much about the poet or the context, but... Mm found it for her anyway so she can maybe order the book if she wants and it was called the insubstantial pageant that's right yeah uh, so it was it's been uploaded in a kind of uh, an archive version to to google books this right. book uh however however long ago so there was only a, only a preview available but that's all we needed to to find yeah. that yeah that well, well like, what, what kind of resources would you have when someone comes to you from a with a line from a poem and says i, I what's that <laughs> well i just use what's publicly available actually so google books anyone can access that and, and use it and i suppose i'm building skills that I learned in my old job in, in Storyful Social Media News Agency up in Dublin ah. and what we did there was kind of finding information online so love kind of uh, cracking a, an online detective case you know so when I saw this it was kind of yeah. right up my street to, you, to you, solve it You um, worked for Mark and Storyful did you? God, that's it that's... I did, yeah, yeah <laughs> Well, so I kind of did this sort of thing every day and you just use what's available to you and, and, and what's publicly available. Yeah. You're now working on a, a long-term project uh, between UCC and a university in Wales. What's that about? That's right. It's ports past and present. It's actually an EU-funded project. It's, it's funded by the URDF, the Ireland-Wales programme. So we're working with Wales and we're working on promoting the history of the ferry ports. Uh, so from Dublin and Rosslare on the Irish side 
uh, the ones that are, are, are connected with the Welsh ports. So then Hollyhead, Pembroke Dock and Fishguard on the Welsh side. So yeah, we're working with Aberystwyth University, University of Wales, Trinity St. David over there um, and with Wexford County Council here. So it's a lovely project. It's, yeah. you know, very, very collaborative and it's great to be working with people in Wales as well and kind of keeping those connections yeah. alive. Um, how, how, many, how many thousands of us used to go over on holidays to Wales on the boat? You know, that's it. The ferry means so much to so many people. And when we're talking about the history of these places and the Irish Sea, it's we're looking back at kind of the literature, but also more recent history and and the crossings and what they mean to people. And, and people have family links and they have work links across the Irish Sea. There's a there's actually a street in in Rosslair that starts in Rosslair and ends in Fishguard, which is wonderful. You really, know, the numbers start start on one side and end on the other. So it just shows how closely linked they are. Yeah. Crikey. What's that street called? Oh, it slips my mind right now. Okay, but okay that's fascinating. So it, it like we say, maybe one to, one to 50 are in Ross Lair and 51 to 100 are in Fishguard. Oh, that's gas. Yeah, that's right. That's it's gas. It's just one of those curious things, isn't it? But it just, you just wouldn't even think of that, of how closely they are linked, but they really are. And well, it, yeah, it's, will it's, this lead it's, to it's a book or a documentary or what will it lead to, Aoife? Yeah, there are various outputs from the project. So we have these beautiful documentary films that we'll be launching throughout the port towns during this summer. Um, and there are also books and artwork being created. So we had just had one of the writers in our creative group, John Gower, announce his right. book. It's called The Biography of the Irish Sea, The Turning Tide. Uh, so that looks like it'll be wonderful and that will be out in 2023. So right. I'm sure that won't be the only book to emerge from the project as right. well. It's so fascinating, because it is, like you said, a fascinating history. I can remember the going as a small boy on the Innes Fallon and from the Port of Cork across to, was it Swansea it used to go to? And all those ports, yeah. and that's brilliant. That's that's that great project. Look forward to reading whatever comes out of that and looking at whatever documentaries yeah. come out of that. But go back to what we, we, we were on to. By the way, the, the, the lady involved wanted to thank yourself and your colleague, uh, Ashling, um, for okay. helping her with that. It, I, I kind of said to myself, that, that when surely if you just Google the line, it'll come up for you. Yeah. But you, you guys are much better at that than the rest of us so the sea to the land <laughs> you've taken from me the one darling I had that comes from the insubstantial pageant by Monk Gibbon right. that's right yeah there's one well it was just googling on our side too but just taking taking sections of the sentence and using google books as well so just being a little bit a little bit sort of clever about it really and um, and that's uh, that's that's what you can do, kind of using whatever is available, really, to try and uh, try and get what you need. Okay. Interesting, fantastic. Thank you, Eva Dowling from the UCC School of English. She's a project manager there. Used to work for Storyful. Goodness, it was a great news agency. Oh uh, eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. The sea said to the land, "You've taken from me the one darling I had." A line from the insubstantial pageant by Monk. Given, and no, I don't know who he was either. Can we just talk? The opinion line on Corks ninety six FM with the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie. 
question number 10. What year did Ireland last win the Six Nations? Last won the Six Nations in 2018. You said 2018. You, my friends, have just won 2,000 euros. Oh, yes, buddy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Get in. <laughs> well done, buddy. Get in. Uh, nice lad. Johnny boy, you've just nailed it. Happy Friday. Congratulations, my man. You just nailed 2,000 euros in cash. Oh, lad. Thanks a million. Stacking up the cash. 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 The two grand minute. Listen to play at 740 and 840 every day on Casey and Ross in the morning. Corks 96 FM. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now. 0818 96 96 96. On Cork's 96FM. Just for a move on, this one's come in, and I don't know the answer to this, but maybe somebody does. Um, can you ask, a totally separate issue to whatever you've been talking about this morning, PJ, can you ask this question? If I'm awarded compensation in a court case... And all my costs, including legal fees. Why did I just get a bill for eight hundred euro? Hmm. Good question. If you win a court case, you're awarded compensation, you're awarded your costs, and it doesn't say it doesn't say who the bill has come from, but this caller has gotten a bill now for eight hundred yoyos. Why, would, why might that be? Any legal people listening who, who know what this is about or anyone who's been through the same thing and knows what it's for? Because I think I'd be a bit baffled myself. Costs awarded, compensation awarded, case won. So what's this about? 0818969696. I think it's probably happened to a lot of people that there will be a party that your child does not get invited to. And I think one of the hardest life lessons for a child to learn 
is not everybody's ever going to like you. Not everybody is going to love you. Not everybody is going to want to be a friend. And you have to be okay with that. But at what age should you start to learn that? Because that's not easy to learn at my age, let alone the child. But it, there was a thing on social media recently where a woman took to social media and she was upset, enraged, very bothered by the fact that her child had not been invited to a birthday party in the child's class. Uh, it prompted an article uh, by on Every Mum by Emma Parkin, who is their executive editor. Emma, good morning. Good morning, PJ. How are you? Good. It's it's a life lesson that all of our kids must learn. You know, not everybody's going to like you. Not everyone's going to want to be your friend. But at what age do they start to learn that? And what do you do when your child doesn't get invited? Well, I guess it's something children learn from the moment they enter into a group setting. So from the, the minute they go into preschool, Montessori, uh, junior school, uh, junior infant, senior infants, you know, you're you're starting to learn about interacting with other people and socialising. And um, I, I guess that's when it starts. It starts very early. Um, but I suppose from a parent's perspective, um, whilst obviously we, we feel that hurt on their behalf, like we can't help it because we want to protect them from everything so I, I think the most important thing would be to like if you do feel upset don't show it because it's important for kids at any age to, to learn to develop um, resilience so I guess that we, we actually need to model resilience in order to for them to learn it so um, I would see it very much as kind of more of a teaching moment like use it as an opportunity to teach your kids about inclusion, exclusion and friendships and like reassure them that there will be other parties and try to explain it to them, you know, in a practical way mm. as well and say, you know, maybe their mummy and daddy didn't have the space at home and you just don't know what's going on in their lives and just remember there's going to be other parties. And actually we had, um, we had, we have a very big uh, Facebook every mum community and one of our mother's recently reached out with with a similar question um, saying that, you know, their child hadn't been asked to a party and they were feeling pretty upset about it on their behalf. And um, some of the mums came back to say that um, it's really important if you do have a party to reach out to the teacher, to the the class teacher and say, look, what's the story here? What's the policy? Um, And a lot of teachers will say, don't put the invite in the school bag and make sure that you know, you you reach out to the parents on WhatsApp and, you know, if it is a case where you're not able to ask the the whole class. And one really fantastic idea um, that a couple of parents suggested was that um, they had uh, like a um, one party per month situation. Mm. So what they do is, is that they get together and all the May birthdays, for example, would throw a joint party for the two or three kids. And that's great because all the parents then get to share the cost of the party, the cake, and everyone gets invited. Nobody's mm. upset. And mm. um, and also another really good idea is to, and um, when you do have the joint party, is just to have a rule of, okay, just keep it to five euro per card per child. So there's no kind of, no one's under any pressure, you know, financially, because they can, you know, parties can be quite expensive. Um, I know my own case, my own situation, um, I can understand like why, why parents would feel upset because particularly like post-COVID, um, there were no parties for nearly two years. Yeah. Um, my child turned six uh, in November of last year. 
So we went, we just decided to go all out because she'd never had a birthday party in her life. And we went to uh, Funky Monkeys and um, invited everyone. And I think nearly the whole class turned up. But we, we kind of got there in time before Omicron hit. <laughs> um, and then there were no parties for a while. But now, you know, everyone's starting to come back to life and, and the parties are happening again. Um, so, you know, these, these these situations are cropping up. So um, some classes now, if they're mixed, I've seen some of the parents do like only boys or only girls. And then they kind of go, oh, OK, I don't care if I'm not asked to that party. Um, but I do think, yeah, it's it's one of those situations where you do have to be careful. You don't want to leave anyone out. Um, some parents actually came back to us with feedback and said, you know, it's fine to ask a select group of friends, but just ensure that you're not leaving out, like, say, three or four yeah. kids in the class. Like, it's not a case of where they're sort of exclusively being singled out. Um, and then, you know, sometimes uh, parents just choose to... Um, you know, just have that, say, maybe the best friends and just contact those parents on WhatsApps. Yeah. Then, you know, nobody knows. But because yeah, the, 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 days, the days are gone, Emma, when it was the only way to communicate the fact that there was a party coming up, you know. So mm. there is no need, really, is there, for the, the, the written invitation in the school bag. There are other ways now. Absolutely, yes. I mean, I, I personally would keep it just to WhatsApp um, and that way, you know, obviously kids do talk. Um, but, you know, at least that way you're not kind of uh, yeah, showing showing off your invitations and other children are saying, oh, where's my invite? But I think like we actually, um, interestingly, we had um, some feedback from a school teacher um, uh, on Facebook and she actually said, look, because this particular mother who had asked this question, her child was um, turning six and or seven. And she said, at this age, it's absolutely fine to just ask the friends. As long as I just said before, you're not leaving out, say, three or four kids. Mm. But most schools would ask that you don't give out the invites in class as it can, it can cause a little bit of upset. So a quick WhatsApp is the best way to go. Then you're not causing any mm. issues, you know. One of the original posts I saw about this on social media concerned yeah. a parent who was a member of the travelling community and and I think it was her little girl felt mm-hmm. or that she felt her little girl had been excluded because of that. But that thing, that's what started the conversation in, in my mind. And, I, mm. I, you know, and then you got a piece on your, on, on every mum about an eight-year-old. Um, and and I, I, maybe for me... That's we, right, yeah. Parent, is the parent feeling more hurt than the child sometimes? <sighs> Yeah, definitely. And that's like what I was saying earlier on there. Um, Like that is just her own personal take on it. And, you know, it just depends on your own frame of mind at the time. But sometimes you just feel things more deeply. Um, But as I said, like if you do feel upset, try your best not to show it because, you know, children learn from us on how to react in these situations. So we have to kind of um, pretend that we're strong and that yeah. we're resilient and it's absolutely fine. It's, a, you know, use it as an opportunity to teach them about friendships and that there will be times in life where they are going to feel excluded. And it's, you know, it's not a pleasant feeling, but it's kind of is part of life. And then just reassure them that, you know, there are going to be other parties and 
maybe if it is a case where they're feeling left out, try and arrange some play dates with yeah. um, other kids in the class to kind of, uh, I suppose, strengthen other friendships. Um, but look, I always think distraction is always the best thing. So <laughs> if it does happen, arrange something else, bring them to the cinema um, and yeah. Yeah. You know, do something else that's fun. Yeah, I'll be, uh, one immediate one that would come to mind, and I know all of the healthy eating people will be on my case. I don't actually care. Yeah. If it was my <laughs> eight-year-old I was picking up, and yeah. he or she said to me, Dad, they don't want me to go to their party, or I wasn't invited to the party. I said, yeah, mm-hmm. but how many of them were invited to McDonald's for their lunch? Come on, we're going. Yeah, exactly. Just did. distract now, them. You know, that's what yeah. I do. Distract them from yeah, it. trip to the park or go into town. Just you know, have a special parent and parent yeah. and child day, you know, and just make them feel special. Yeah. And um, also, like I think it's important to listen to them and validate their feelings, and um, use it as a teaching moment. You know. Yeah. All right. That's and and your own feelings aren't as important as the feelings of the child. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. You have to model resilience and and show them that you know. There's distract them with other fun things and it's not the end of the world yeah. and um, reassure them that there are going to be other parties in the future and it's not the be-all and end-all. Okay, all right. Emma, thank oh. you. Emma Parkin of uh, Every Mum. She's their executive editor. I think it's probably happened to loads and loads of parents that, you know, little Johnny or Mary, they didn't get the invite to, to young David's party. And we as adults realise that in a room of 20 kids, you know, young David doesn't have to invite everybody. Doesn't have to at all. But when you're seven, that's devastating. Absolutely devastating. Do you know? And how you deal with it is entirely up to yourself. And it's not about you. So you might be... (laughs) I remember... You know, I'm going to have a word with that mother now. I'll be on the phone to that mother. No, you won't. No, you won't. Deal with the child's problem. Any mothers or dads of party-going children have a better idea? 0818-969696. The one that I read, and I said it to Emma there with regard to this whole conversation, was where a child was, as I said, a member of the travelling community attending a school and there was only 20-something in the class and it was a birthday party for one of the most popular girls in the class and this little kid was the only one that didn't get an invite. You would be very tempted there to start ringing the mother or the father and shouting down the phone. But you kind of wonder, does that help at all? Probably not. 0818969696 on Eurovision says Jar. Yes, PJ, we were totally robbed. It's proof of how the public voting system fails to recognise a good song and a quality performance, and good lyrics and melodies. It's all sacrificed now to gimmicks and ridiculous fashion statements like Serbia. I know they're washing their hands on stage. It was a song about the Serbian health service, if you don't mind. They're washing their hands on stage. Ridiculous fashion statements. Like, did you see what the Australian fella was wearing? Like, come here to me now. 
and the song about giving a wolf a banana. Giving a wolf a banana. Just made it to the final. I rest my case, says Jar. There were also three terrific rock songs in the two semi-finals. None got through. My favourite to win now is either the Netherlands, Spain or Sweden. Ah, Sweden. That would be my favourite in there, having seen the two semi-finals. We'll catch up with our man in Turin, Dermot Manning, a little bit later to get the feedback from the other side. Yes, Ireland got robbed again. She was amazing last night. Caller asks, has there ever been a song that didn't get into the finals or didn't win but got to number one in the Irish charts? I hope Brooke gets to number one here. She deserves it and she was brilliant. She's got quite a few streams on Spotify for the song and they've gone up a bit overnight. It's great. It is a great little pop song. No country votes for the first country that opens its doors and pockets. Okay. Eurovision should be like The Voice, where the judges pick, not other countries. A lot of people saying if it was just down to juries that uh, Brooke would have gotten through, the public vote doesn't help Ireland. That is true. The public vote does not help Ireland, never has done, because we just have such a small population. 0818-969696. Just on birthday parties. Yeah, the Asian way of doing this is that the birthday person should be paying for dinner, so to speak. There should not be any pressure for people to bring gifts. It's more like the I, the birthday girl, I'm inviting everyone in class to sing happy birthday to me. In class. And that's that. That would be helpful. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie Access all areas on Cork's 96FM. Your guide to nightlife on Leaside. Hi, it's Michael here with an update on Cork's entertainment. A new Cork date has been announced for Richard Hawley's show, supposed to take place at the Opera House this month, and the new show is scheduled for 16th of October with all tickets still valid. Access all areas. Details have been announced on the programme for Cork Midsummer Festival 2022, which once again focuses on live and person events that artists and audience can experience and share together. Further information on the programme is available at corkmidsummer.com. Access all areas. You can contact us here at Access All Areas if you have a show, play or exhibition or any live streaming events by emailing us on aaa at 96fm.ie. Access all areas. Your guide to nightlife on on Cork's 96FM. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 0833 96 On Cork's 96FM. And D says, I taught mine at an early age that sadly not everyone will like you and that will hurt your feelings. I also explained that personalities will clash. I agree. Offer them another fun thing to do. Thanks, D. 0818 96 96 96. Now, the forecast, the weather forecast for the weekend varies depending on where you're reading it from a very pleasant end of spring weekend to a mini heatwave weekend. And the forecast for early next week is everything far from a very wet day, Monday and Tuesday, to a horrible storm. Monday and Tuesday. And depending on where you look, you get a different version of events. Hence, 
the only man that I find can make absolute sense of this and give us an accurate call is Alan O'Reilly from Carlow Weather. Alan, 18 days to the start of summer. Are we in for a smell of it this weekend? Good morning. Good morning, PJ. No pressure there with that intro. <laughs> um, it's 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 going to be a nice weekend, yeah. It's actually, you probably already have the sunshine down in Cork. Um, some good sunny spells down the south already. And it could get up to 18, maybe 19 degrees. Um, that, that strong breeze will slowly ease this evening. And then the winds will be lighter. Now, it's going to be hit and miss in terms of sunshine. It's not going to be clear blue skies all weekend. And, you know, it's not going to be like that. But... There's going to be good sunny spells mm. and temperatures will get up to 20 degrees. But funnily enough, for, for those around Cork near the coast, today will probably be the warmer of the days because it'll feel a bit cooler near the coast, especially t- tomorrow and Sunday with the uh, onshore breeze. But still a pleasant weekend. There's going to be no rain really today, tomorrow and for a good part of Sunday. Mm. We might so, chance the barbecue know, tomorrow then. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Barbecue weather. And as I said, that wind is going to ease off as well. So it'll make it easier to get the barbecue going and control it. So it's going to be a good weekend. It's not going to be, you know, everybody head for the beach type weekend. And if you are heading for the beach, bring the jumper because it will feel that bit cooler. But yeah, a nice weekend. And it'll really be late Sunday if there is a shower. And even at that, they'll be very hit and miss. So a a nice weekend. Nothing exceptional, but a nice weekend. Now, the start of next week doesn't look good at all. Are we looking at a big change Sunday night or what? We are. We are looking at a change and there's going to be a risk of some thundery downpours Sunday night and Monday. So there'll be some very heavy thundery downpours on Monday. The problem then uh, is we have nice high pressure out to the east, which we had hoped was going to kind of sit over us and bring us up some real heat and keep us settled. But there's a storm that's going to develop out in the Atlantic. Now, the reason why, as you say, depending on where you look, the weather forecast is different, is the two main weather models are in complete disagreement on the track of this storm. Mm. So the GFS American weather model wants to bring the track of the storm pretty close to Ireland and bring some very strong winds into the south um, and the west on Monday night into Tuesday, along with um, some heavier spells of rain. But the European weather model is projecting the storm to go much further west and stay well out in the Atlantic. And while we will see some breezy and windy and kind of showery weather, it wouldn't be anything near as bad as what the other weather model is showing. So the uncertainty on the weather is because of the track of this potential storm. And it is unusual to see a storm of this kind of strength around this, this late in spring. Um, so the weather models might be struggling a little bit yeah. in terms of trying to forecast. Because the, the magic seaweed, which I use also, Alan, is picking it up, and 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 mm-hmm. and it it doesn't it, it doesn't have it coming over us, but it doesn't know where exactly it is going to go. This is the kind of we've talked about this before. This is the Punch and Judy show that affects our spring and summer, isn't it? The Punch and Judy show between what's down over Europe and what's coming in from the West, and it's whatever is stronger effectively on the day. Yeah, it's a, it's a battle. It's a constant battle of low and high. Um, and unfortunately for us, we're very often closer to the low. So, for example, there's a lot of people talking about a heat wave, and a lot of that came from the UK. And, you know, London can be 27, 28 degrees while we're struggling to get to 20 degrees yeah. because of exactly that, because the low to the West and the high to the Southeast. And the, the, it's almost like if you were to kind of wash up a load of water from from Spain and throw it up towards the British Isles 
and it just catches the southeast of England but doesn't reach as far as Ireland. That's kind of what happens with the heat some of the time. So we're getting a little blast of, of, of warm air for the next few days but then unfortunately that storm and the west is going to come at us from the west mm-hmm. and going to push the settled weather. But, but the good news PJ is the weather models this morning have started to come into a little bit more agreement that the following weekend around the 21st we could see the high coming from the south again and it's another battle and, and look we, it's too early to call which one will win out but at least we are seeing those battles because sometimes we just get a a yeah. kind of a conveyor belt of, of westerly weather which can really, really ruin the spring and summer. Yeah, well, I, I, I keep telling people, Alan, and I've sent an awful lot of people to your Twitter because you were the man who, I think it was nine or ten days out last year, got a smell of that beautiful heat wave we got. So, <laughs> you have, you're very high on my reliability scale. <laughs> no, no pressure, PJ. I keep my eyes. I'll try. I'll try and get the next one for you. <laughs> Always a pleasure, Alan O'Reilly, of uh, Carlo Weather, and that is his hobby. It he does another job. He works in I think internet security or something like that. Is his day job. But this is a hobby of his, and he has built a little weather station at home with all of the various models and computers, and he is deadly accurate. <laughs> deadly accurate. Uh, most of the time, he's put it this way. They all say I'm right more than I'm wrong. He's right an awful lot more than he's wrong. Now the sanctuary runners, um, we've followed their development over the years, and they're just a wonderful organisation. Gene Cahill uh, from the Sanctuary Runners joins me to talk about the marathon and a few more things besides. Gene, good morning. Good morning, PJ. How are things? Good. You've opened your doors and opened your membership to Ukrainian refugees. Um, how the, uh, and have they been joining you? They have. We we're, we're we're kind of fortunate enough. I mean, we've always been open to, to to refugees from all nationalities, but obviously the events over the last couple of weeks um, has seen a lot of um, Ukrainian refugees coming in, and, and obviously you know they've they've been fleeing trauma um, and kind of you know kind of horrific war and stuff like that. So the the least we can do is try just to integrate them into society and you know, um, kind of create some sort of spirit of, of solidarity and friendship. And we're fortunate enough to have a lot of them running with us in the Cork City Marathon this year. So um, it'll be it'll be great for them um, and it'll be great for us. And it's, it's just a way of kind of building bridges and b- b- building connections between um, b- b- between us, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You are running the marathon, big effort coming together for the marathon, haven't you? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, for the last couple of weeks, I mean, we, we, since since 2018, really, when, when the Sanctuary Runners were founded, we, we've run in every Cork City Marathon, obviously, the last two years with COVID. Last year, we did it virtually. The year before, I think it was cancelled. Um, so we're kind of hoping for a big turnout this year. Um, and for the last number of weeks, then every Thursday night, we've been training down in the Mardike. We've been very lucky that UCC Sports um, have um, have helped us out in, in, in getting us access to the Mardike. Um, the Sanyo Sullivan racetrack down at the Mardike and um, we've had sessions there every every week for for an hour eight to nine most Thursday nights. And um, you know we've been kind of putting in the miles, and we've had guest coaches, and we've had Olympians and stuff training us as well. So it's it's great, and it brings everybody together, and it's 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 done in a very friendly and relaxed atmosphere, and everyone runs at their own pace. We have. You know, people who who'll be going for kind of personal best, and we'll have people doing their very first leg of, um, you know, a relay leg of a marathon for the first time ever. So everyone's, you know, um, we're, we're having a bit of fun. We're getting the training done, and we're just enjoying ourselves and, mm. and building connections. And you know, that's what running is all about, really, isn't it? I know that the marathon entry fee has been waived for for your members. 
Yeah, so um, we've been very lucky with Cork City Council. They have uh, waived the entry fee for uh, those who are living in direct provision. Um, and it's, it's great because it's, it's just another kind of um, obstacle that, that's been removed for them to take part in this. Um, so it's great that they don't have to, to pay. So, um, you know, we've been working with the accommodation centres in, in, in Kinsale Road. Um, I suppose the Cork City-based ones are the ones in Kinsale Road in Glenvere and the north side and Ashburn House down in Glownthorn. But we will have sanctuary runners joining us from Mill Street. Um, we'll have people from um, Clonakilty. We'll have people from Mallow. Um, and a couple of other places as well, um, from, from a few from Kerry joining us as well. So we'd hope to have people from uh, direct provision centres all around the country coming down to Cork on the 5th to run alongside us in the marathon. And it'll be, um, it'll be good fun. And we have, a, we have a lovely sanctuary runners, big massive um, sanctuary runners party planned as well afterwards um, in town. So um, we're looking forward to that as well. Yeah. And it'll just bring everybody together. And hopefully it'll be a fantastic day out. There's a massive entry this year. Now, congratulations are, are due. Uh, and what the award for inclusivity in sport and physical activity you're nominated for that award in the Irish Sports Industry Awards well done yeah, that's great. It's, it's, it's fantastic because, as I said, I suppose if you look at the the, the other organisations that have been nominated as well, I mean, you know, the GA, the uh, Football Association of Ireland, I think Swim Ireland are there, you know, really established sports bodies. And when you look at kind of a, an organisation like us, who's only in existence for, you know, four to five years, it's a massive achievement and it's a massive credit to, you know, people all over the country who've kind of, um, you know, got involved with the Sanctuary Runners and, and helped us grow into the, the group that it has become. So we're absolutely delighted to, you know, kind of take place alongside those and you know you, you said it yourself it's about inclusion and that's what we've been about from the very very start we kind of have this joke that you know when you join the sanctuary runners the only colour you see is the blue of the sanctuary runners top and you know we, we kind of live that out every week when we go running together and it's, it's fantastic and it's just it's just a great group that just includes everybody regardless of your running background your your running ability uh, regardless of your nationality or ethnicity it's, it's just a group that comes together and we just sh- share friendship and running and you know that's um you know, in the times we live in, that's that's a that's that's a great connection to have. It's, it's a real success story. The development of the Sanctuary Runners Group. Thanks, Jean Cahill, and also a shout out to my old pal Graham Clifford, who was the founder of Sanctuary Runners. It came from a really small idea back in 2018 to what it is today, which is a great organisation. Actually, the the entry for the marathon this year. We're so excited as as Charity RSM media partners with it this year. It's great to see such a fantastic entry for the marathon. 5th of June, of course. 3,000 are taking on the full marathon this year. That's double previous years. Another 4,300 people have signed up for the half marathon, which is a very good uh, a very, very good increase on previous years. So, seven and a half thousand runners between the full marathon and the half marathon. And obviously, there's relay teams included there as well. It's going to be some day. It's going to be some day uh, on the Sunday of the June Bank Holiday weekend. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. Hear the full show on our app, by podcast or on 96FM.ie. The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? 
The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Cork's 96FM. Now, I didn't make it, unfortunately, last night to the Kieran Kramer fundraiser. I also had an invite to go to see uh, the High Kings at the Opera House. I didn't get to either of them. Um, stuck in a few other bits and pieces and watching the, the Eurovision. But I got a message there from Tony Cullinan. And indeed, Kieran himself uh, posted up some video last night. And there's video on Facebook. Anthony Fleming has put up some professional video on Facebook. The Kieran Kramer fundraiser last night at Rochestown Park. If you know the room, the big room in Rochestown Park, and they, they do it with round tables for formal events, but they also do it with long, long tables for big nights like last night. It was Rammers, I mean, absolutely stuffed to the rafters for Kieran, or for for um, Kieran Kramer for the fundraiser, and they are so thrilled with the turnout. Tony wants to thank the bands and the performers who came along and made it an exceptional night uh, to support an exceptional guy. And Kieran himself, I was delighted to see this video. It's going around on Facebook. I've always said this, Kieran does a version of Better Roses by Bon Jovi. And if you close your eyes, you could be at a Bon Jovi gig. It's just uncanny how good he is at that song. And I remember when what happened to him happened to him, and he's spoken about it on the opinion line, he was kind of doubting whether he'd sing again. Certainly he didn't want to be singing from a chair and whatever, and he was having doubts about it. Well, he's been doing a little bit of singing, and last night... In front of that packed, packed crowd, he got up and he sang Better Roses. And he absolutely nailed it. Just nailed it dead, which he's always done. He's always done it. So great to see the voice and the power behind the voice is still there. And a great night for a great guy. There is still a GoFundMe open. Just go into GoFundMe and search the name Kieran Kramer. Kramer with a K. And you'll get the page and try to help one of the greats of Cork Entertainment and a dear, dear friend of mine for many years, a great entertainer. I worked with him. so We did so many gigs together around the city and county and country for, for years on end. And one of the greats and fantastic to see that, that turnout last night. 0818 96 96 96. Are you following this trial at all? <laughs> this is Rebecca Vardy and... and Colleen Rooney and it's it, it, it handbags with a lot of money in the bags over who said what about who and who shared who's to what and whatever and it's it's both fascinating and very disturbing at the same time and it's playing out like a very bad reality show Denise Corton, digital editor of Stellar.ie Are you hanging on their every word Denise? Good morning <laughs> Good morning. I actually had to laugh earlier when you said it's like setting a skip on fire because I think we're after hitting the two million pound mark now with this trial. So it is very, very similar to setting a skip on fire. It's like putting all your movie, all your money into bad reality TV because that is that's kind of how the trial is progressing at the moment. You know, it's it is a lot of hearsay. It's a lot of 
unnecessary drama. In my opinion, a lot of things that could be sorted behind closed doors. But obviously, because all this, you know, drama began on social media, uh, it's continuing that way. So, yeah, yeah, it's it's wild. Even the judge and many of the never wanted this to to, to be a trial. I was talking to Enda Brady about it from Sky News in the pre-trial times. And nobody wanted this to go into trial. Go into a room and sort it out among yourselves, for goodness sake. Oh, absolutely. You know, you can even tell with the with the lawyers and when they're being put on trial, everyone's doing circles around themselves. I feel like there's only so much that can be said. Did you do it? Did you not? Who did? Who leaked the story? But we seem to be continuing with the same questions again and again. But you know what the thing is, is it is pop culture catnip. I think I was too young around the time that the wags were really prevalent. I think it was like during the FIFA World Cup 2006 onwards to maybe 2009. So it's great to get in on modern day wag drama. I I absolutely love it. But again, it could be sorted behind closed doors when the viral social media post first kind of came to air in October 2019, I think it was. uh, Colleen carried out what she called a sting operation in uncovering that Rebecca Vardy's account was leaking these stories. So since then, it has just been taking everyone's attention because it's like she's calling it a sting operation. Some people are calling, you know, whoever was on Rebecca Vardy's account as like, you know, the hitman that's, you know, helping her to kind of put Colleen down. And it's just there's just so much to it. It's hilarious. (laughs) There's even a mobile phone and someone was tweeting the other day. I'm almost waiting for a fella to walk in in a wetsuit dripping with water and a phone in his head going, I got her! her." (laughs) (laughs) Yes, because uh, Caroline Walsh, who's Rebecca's friend and agent, her phone slipped into the North Sea. So um, all that information on that boat like, is gone. <laughs> as it does, yeah. Apparently uh, the boat that she was on hit a wave. So that's the phone gone. Makes absolutely zero sense. And then uh, for Rebecca uh, Vardy, her phone has loads of files have been deleted. But um, I think her her lawyer said that it's a credible and boring explanation as to why that has happened. But we don't know why. Yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> so. I suppose... You could tell you. We were, you know, they were being told go into a room and sort this out. But on the other side of it, Colleen Rooney believes she has been wronged, and and she wants to right that wrong, and she wants to do it in public. Have you any sympathy for that, Denise? I I kind of do in a sense because the fact that they are celebrities, you know, their their lives and their livelihood is based on people loving them and people backing them and if you're doing things behind closed doors I suppose you're not kind of up for public trial and people can't make their own opinion on things so by doing it this way they kind of I suppose keep their credibility or maybe keep their their fan base keep themselves in the headlines Denise keep themselves in a headlines yeah so there's a lot of it of that to it and it's the same for Rebecca Brady she wants to do this publicly too because she's like I want to clear my name and I want everyone to know that I'm not in the wrong. So it's a lot of, like we said, hearsay, who said, what said, you know, this kind of crap. There was a, there was a moment, uh, a couple of moments, I thought either were laugh out loud. One was when, which one of them said to the barrister, um, if, well, if I'm being honest, to which is, well, I hope you are. You're in a witness box. Of the and the You're other, under oath here. The Davy Jones's locker comment, I nearly choked on me coffee 
What happened? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so this was all Rebecca uh, Vardy. She was the one that's, that's been uh, in the witness stand at the moment because of the fact that they're kind of putting her on trial first and now Colleen um, from this evening onwards. But yeah, yeah, she was like, what's the Davy Jones comment about? She needed, you know, she needed them to explain it to her. And also when she kept saying, if I'm being honest, they were like, no, 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 you have to be honest. This is the whole point of a trial, you know? Yeah, someone said that the phone, the famous phone, was in Davy Jones's locker, of course, meaning the bottom of the sea. And she said, who's Davy Jones? <laughs> Lead singer of the monkeys yeah, well, or something like that. Yeah, apparently she had nothing. She knew nothing to do with the phone anyway. That was another thing that she said. I think she said it maybe yesterday. She was like, oh, I never knew that the phone was lost. I never knew anything to do with it. So it's like, oh, my God, like you just couldn't write this. Like you said, bad reality TV. I'm just like every every day is like a page turner. So I think that's why I'm so hooked on it. Can you see a series in it? Oh, I hope so. I hope I love a like true crime documentary or something based on it. I just think it'd be brilliant. <laughs> Speaking of series, there's a couple at the moment. I mean, I'm I'm saving it. I decided not to watch it until I can binge it. And is it next week is the last ever episode of Derry Girls? It is May 17th. Now, apparently I've heard that they're going to have the last episode on May 17th and then a bonus episode later on in the week as the like finisher of the end you know like like a, a very special last episode so but yeah it all comes to a close um next week but it's funny that you said you're going to wait to binge it as, as a whole because i actually saw on twitter recently a lot of people are saying that they're loving that they that they're being forced to wait that they they missed uh programs being released every like once yeah. a week because you know they're so used to just like let's just say bridgerton that was you know massive last month they can sit down and they can binge the whole thing you can do it in six hours you can do it over a week you're in control where there's now with the likes of dairy girls and also with the kardashians on on hulu and disney plus you have you're being forced to wait it's like i'll give you this bit now you have to wait another week and i'll give you another bit and it, it, it's kind of old school <laughs> yeah the Kardashians, you mentioned the Kardashians. Um, I, I, as I said, I have been known to run screaming from the room with a desire to chew my own eyeballs. <laughs> but they're big. They're big. They're, they're very big. <laughs> they're very, very big. Um, yeah, they're now on Disney+. Plus. They, they found a new home. They used to be with E, but now uh, I had to laugh. They said we've taken a really long break from filming between the, the two series. And it was a whole six months. And so I was like, yeah, that's a, a big break, I suppose, in in the life of the Kardashians who've been filming since they were, you know, uh, upwards of like 15, 16. So it is a long break for them. But yeah, it's massive. And again, comes out once a week on a Thursday and people are absolutely addicted. I'd say it has sent Disney Plus's subscriptions rocketing high Denise, because um, cause it's great. Why? <laughs> why? Why? I think it's because it's like a study of people. You get to watch people in their everyday lives you get kind of an insight into celebrity culture that I suppose you don't get through like you know the forms of Instagram and Twitter and Facebook so it's it's just interesting it's just it, it's kind of like monkey see monkey do you get to see people do things that you're kind of like oh so that's how you they'd sort that fight now so that's now what happens when they go to you know a public appearance or okay so that's what's happening now you know it, it's just it's like reading tabloids it's just yeah. it's just interesting the, the only other crowd that that I can again sent me screaming from the room and both my wife and daughter were obsessed with the new series is it the dream housewives of are they Churchfield or not Nahini at this stage I don't know where they're from but the the, 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 the housewives the the, the, real, the housewives. real housewives like they're, yes, they're another yeah. shower of lunatics that seem to spend most of the time shouting at each other but it's hugely and popular. again yeah 
And again, yesterday, a new series of that came out and people are hooked on it. That's on Hey You. And um, yeah, see, this is the thing. It's reality TV is just so like people either love it or hate it. It's so Marmite. But for the people that love it, it's an absolute addiction. And it's kind of like a tonic as well. You know, it's a breakaway from the hard hitting news, the realities of life. It's just it's nice to sit down and see people that bicker that aren't your own family or to see people, you know, do things that you're like, I can watch this from afar and turn it off when I like. And it's out of my life. Well, you see, I guess we all have that. I have lined up tonight and I'm so excited about it. I have four episodes of The Blacklist to watch. So that's where I get my thrills. (laughs) And And see, that would have me running from the room screaming. That's been renewed for series 10 now. I know it's been going on quite some time. Ah, he just gets better. He just gets better. Yeah. Today's yeah. <laughs> always good to catch up. Who do you think will win this trial? Oh, I'm going to say Colleen. You just, think? I just, she has more grounds, I think. But then again, you never know. Rebecca Verdi could pull through. It's, it, 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 it's hard to know. But I would be back in Colleen. One hundred percent. Do you think so? Is there any? Yeah. Think any thoughts that a judge might just throw her hands up in the air and go, "Would you ever sort it out among yourselves to get out of my court?" <laughs> You know what? She could she could do a you on it and run from the room screaming. You know, it's very possible. I know I would if I was in her position. So <laughs> anything is possible. Denise, great to talk to you as always on the opinion. Denise Curtin, digital editor of Stellar.ie. The trial of the century. Colleen versus Rebecca. Oh wait, one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six and the Kardashians and the Real Housewives. Well, yeah, I'm going home tonight now and I'm all buzzed up because I have four episodes of The Blacklist, Series 9. I was missing one and I managed to get it. So I'm going home to binge on that tonight. 0818 96 96 96. Just when you think, actually, James Spader can't get any better, he gets better. What People often ask, what else do I watch? My big series are that one, The Blacklist. I watch the SVUs. I watch... Um, the Resident, which is entering Series 5. I watched The Good Doctor, which is going for Series 6. And I love, I absolutely love the new All Creatures Great and Small. Such a gorgeous little movie. And a movie I can't wait to see is the new Downton movie. So plenty to do. John says, I can't believe this Colleen Rooney, Rebecca Vardy case is making such headline news. It's salacious crap. The B movie has become the A movie. How did that happen? John, you know what? We often argue and we often disagree and we often have a laugh as well. That's the line of the week. John O'Donovan has just given us the line of the week on the comments platforms. With regard to the Colleen Rooney versus Rebecca Vardy case, the B movie has become the A movie. How did that happen? Well done, John. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie. Cork loves the arts. We do too. That's why we bring you the Arts House. Every Sunday on Cork's 96FM. Hi, it's Elmarie. Join me on Sunday morning when we take a look at what's happening in the arts in Cork and help you plan some great nights out at the theatre or see the latest films on release, catch a brilliant music gig or find the perfect book to get stuck into. The Arts House. Sunday mornings 8 to 10. With Griffin's Potatoes. Straight from our soil to your table. Griffin's Potatoes are simply nutritious and delicious. Courts 96 FM. Can we just talk? 
The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083-396-9696. On Cork's 96FM. Now, if you know about cheese, or if you're interested in the cheese... Yeah, cheese. There's a very famous festival in Milton Mowbray in the UK. It's an artisan cheese festival and they send cheese to it from all over the world. And a cork cheese has just won the award for best soft cheese in the UK and Ireland at this artisan cheese festival in Milton Mowbray. And it is just a heck of an achievement for Bluebell Falls Goat's Cheese. Joined by uh, Victor O'Sullivan. Victor, congratulations. This is, this is like winning an Oscar, isn't it? Good morning. Yeah, the cheese Oscar, I suppose, we'll call it, PJ. Um, yeah, good morning, PJ. Yeah, it was great to win the award in, uh, in, uh, in, uh, in the UK there a few weeks ago. Mm. Definitely. So we're delighted with it because, um, yeah, a lot of work goes into here on our side of it from missing the goats to making the cheese. And, yeah, it was great to win the winners. Do you enter a lot of competitions? <clears throat> yeah, we'd enter, um, we'd enter a few competitions every year. Um, David there, the Blossom of Hair and Koshk Awards, um, great taste. Yeah, but yeah, this is the most significant we've ever won. That, um, mm. So yeah, it was great to have it. And we um, got the All-Ireland for in the Koshk Awards in 2019 for the best soft cheese as well. So this is a double, a double endorsement now. To, is there a a gap in the British market for for uh, a cheese like yours? Yeah, I think so, definitely, yeah. Um, we farm our goats slightly different than than most people in, we say, in the, on the continent and the UK. Our goats will be outdoors and um, I think it definitely, the grass come, definitely comes through in the, in the cheese. Yeah, yeah. Um, Good goats cheese is, oh, yeah. is great and it's a I mean, the cheese, Britain is a big, big cheese-making nation. To be able to break in there for a local business would be fantastic. How did you start, Victor? How did you get into it in the first place? Oh, God. We'll come back to him. I'm talking to Victor O'Sullivan from Bluebell Falls Goat's Cheese Farm. I think we rectified that there for me, Fiona. They won at the Artisan Cheese Festival in Milton Mulberry in the UK. And it's a very, very well-known festival. Um, and they're based in Charleville. And they, like you said, they're unusual in that their goats are farmed outdoors, which is not normally done. Cheese, goats, goats that are having cheese made from their milk, a lot of the time are indoors, so they're outdoors. Thank you, Fee, back to, to line one. So how did you get started in, in, in the cheese-making business, Victor? Uh, there, about 20 years ago, we um, we bought a farm down 35 acres, pretty small in the, the going of things now. But um, we looked at everything from growing daffodils to farming snails, basically. But as both of us were from dairy, dairy backgrounds, both of our parents were dairy farmers, and we always had a few goats, and... I had a few health problems myself, and the goats helped me, so that led us to deciding on the goats. Yeah. And who taught you to make it, or is it, like, who taught you to do cheese? Um, we basically done it well, I suppose. The first thing is, I'm married to a great, a great cheese maker, breed of my life. She's a, she's a chef. 
So she'd be the, the real person behind us. Right. And um, we, yeah, we just done a course in with Eddie outside in um, Tagusk in Moore Park. Right. And um, he showed us the ropes and we, we started off making the cheese in yeah. 2013. Wow, that's 10 years next year. And was there a point right. at which you recognise, Victor, we have a, a special product here? Yeah, I suppose um, we we were originally making the cheese for um, hotels and restaurants, and that has gone great. And the chefs around the country are great, from Lex Rachel and here in Cork or Nevin Maguire up the country. Mm. And um, then we launched into the retail market, and um, we we're at the Bloom Awards above the Bloom Festival yeah. that happens there in the summer. And uh, we came across a lot of the buyers above there from the multiples. And um, one of our, the first substantial contract we got was with Aldi. Right. And when we got that, I said, well, yeah, we must be doing something right. Yeah. And um, yeah. so, yeah, we're with them on and off. And we're with Tesco now at the moment. We're on the three for 10 offer. So mm. you can guess. Brilliant. Because Aldi and Tesco, they both have to be fair to them. They both have great selections of cheese. And to to be in there among them. It's a great achievement. You do different flavours of honey and thyme and garlic. Do you put garlic in the goat's cheese in the goat's cheese as well, yeah? Yeah, yeah, we do yeah, that's one of the flavours we do there. It goes great because um we found a lot of we said the chefs and that they want the original cheese, they don't want anything that they they make their own creation with the original. But then on the we said the retail side of it, people have this notion in their head that goat's cheese is strong. Mm. So, um, so when you have the honey, garlic, and thymeness, it just it tra- it, first of all it just attracts people to mm. that sounds nice. I'll try that, especially when we, when we be at the shows and that people be telling us they don't like it, but then I convince them that they have to try it. Yeah, and then yeah. they try it and they realise, oh, this is actually nice. Yeah, yeah, and um, it goes on from there. But yeah, the yeah we use the honey then from Healy's Honey here in Cork, mm-hmm. and we grow the garlic ourselves. So. It's all, all kept local. All kept local. I'm, I'm very much a plain cheese man. I'm, I'm, I, I like my cheese, but I like it. I like it plain, and I've always yes. been a fan. I, I discovered goat's cheese, Victor, in on holidays. I was in holidays in Greece, all right, I, years ago. Someone gave me goat's cheese in a in a in a baked potato, and I goes, "What the hell is that?" Yes. And I've loved it ever since. And it's you're right. It's a strong flavour, but it's as strong as you make it. It's as strong as you make it, yeah. And it's um, no, it's 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 a lot of people are turned off by the yeah. I think people have this notion in their head that goat cheese is strong because originally goat's milk wasn't being refrigerated back years that's ago, right, and people right. were different. were made drink it, so those memories. But yeah, no, it's uh, it's great. <laughs> it's it's a it's a beautiful cheese, and congratulations on winning the award in the UK, Victor Victor O'Sullivan from Bluebell Falls Goat's Cheese, based in Charleville. Uh, and they're in Tesco's, and they're in Aldi, and they've won this incredible award in the UK. That's a local business flying it. I always remember the first time I had goat's cheese. I just, wow, what is that? Fabulous flavour. Love the stuff. 0818 96 96 96. Just back to um, birthday parties, and when your kid isn't invited to a birthday party, how do you handle it? Dee says, I taught my kids at a very early age, that not, sadly, not everyone will like you and that some of them will actually hurt your feelings. 
I also explained that in life, personalities will clash. And I offered them another fun thing to do. Right, we'll clean up those messages and bring the ones I haven't read to the top there in a couple of minutes. Got a lot coming in on different subjects this morning. 0818 96 96 96. Who do you think, by the way, will win the Wagatha trial? Will it be Rebecca? Or will it be Colleen who feels she was wronged? And why is it that a, a trial between two women married to footballers, celebrities, very wealthy celebrities, married to very wealthy footballers, why is it so important to us? Can anyone get that one for me? The Queen Bee, whose birthday is today, Queen Bee says that she would be on Colleen's side because Colleen believes that she was wronged. And settling in a back office and accepting a cheque is not the same as having your day in court. That's how the Queen Bee feels. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now. 0818 96 96 96. On Cork's 96 FM. Yeah, I, I knew there was something I needed to come back to and I will before the end of the programme. I said I'd do it yesterday and then forgot entirely. That's J1 visas. Uh, we were talking about them last week. Lots of people are waiting for J1 visas to go through and I have it in front of me now so don't let me forget it. Uh, we had a response to that uh, via Deputy Colin Burke from the Department of Foreign Affairs. So give me, I'll do that for you in a few minutes. 0818 96 96 96. But the number of times that Albert Einstein has been proved right in the history of science, uh, it, it's astounding. The stuff he was writing about many, 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 many years ago are all being proved right now. And it only happened again this week to do with the Milky Way galaxy, our galaxy. And you know, if you ever see a picture of our galaxy, there's, it's like this big swirl of stars and planets and gases and light. And in the middle, there's this black dot. And it is a black hole. Leo Enright, space correspondent, joins me. Hello, Leo. Good morning, PJ. You've not been sucked into the black hole there, have you? <laughs> so Einstein was right about the Milky Way galaxy. In what way? Well, God bless him. This man did seem to come up with some amazing ideas that people laughed at at the time. Uh, and the idea of a black hole at the centre of our galaxy uh, was an inevitable out, out, uh, outcome of, uh, of Einstein's theories. Um, we've guessed... Uh, ever since uh, Einstein's relativity papers back in the early part of the last century, we guessed that there might be a black hole at the heart of our galaxy. That kind of sounds like Star Wars. Um, and uh, for a long time now, certainly since the 1970s, uh, we've been pretty certain of it. Um, the problem was that we've never seen it. But of course, uh, BJ, it is a black hole. 
Mm. So, uh, you know, you can't actually see a black hole. Uh, so what makes this detection that they announced yesterday, what makes it extraordinary uh, is that they've, they've used some very, very cool maths and some very, very cool telescopes, combined them together to see the effects of the black hole close by. So they can actually see the picture that they, they released yesterday, the donut picture, is actually the gas uh, that is surrounding the black hole and that is circling the black hole at incredible speeds. Mm. Um, it really is mind-boggling that they were able to take this picture because somebody compared it to trying to take a picture of a puppy running after its tail when your camera has only got a very long shutter speed. Uh, you'd end up just with a blur. A blur. Uh, and uh, so this was the trick to be able to get a picture of this gas circling the black hole without it being so completely blurry that you, you wouldn't know what it was. There's another thing about black holes too, isn't there, Leo, that you can't, even if you could, and we're talking about millions and millions and millions, you can't go near them because you'll get sucked in and never be seen again. So you can't yeah, actually exactly. get too close to them. That's right, PJ. I mean, it's, I remember uh, in the old days, young fellas used to put uh, graffiti in toilets. Uh, the, there is no such thing as gravity. The earth sucks. Um, and uh, so in, in a sense, uh, you know, black holes are the proof of this in the sense that black holes, it, they do suck. Uh, they suck everything in, but because of gravity. And this particular black hole, uh, we call it a supermassive black hole because it's about 10 million times uh, the density of our sun. So if you put 10 million of our suns together, you'd have the gravity, gravitational attraction of what we call Sagittarius A star. That's the, uh, the formal title, Sagittarius A star. So how come it doesn't soak in all the planets and stars around it then? Well, th this is why, why this discovery, are, well, it's not so much a discovery, as I say, we kind of knew Proving. it was there. Uh, but why, why this picture is important, because it's our first opportunity to start working out what are the dynamics uh, up close to a black hole. And, and our black hole is actually really quite tame. Uh, it's, it's not a big monster um, that that would uh, big monster would apply to the first black hole that was photographed uh, five or four or five years ago. They got they got a picture of a black hole at the center of a distant galaxy. Now they were able to photograph that black hole because that really was a voracious monster that was eating literally eating everything around it. It was sucking stuff in at such a rate that uh, you know you couldn't not see it yeah. uh, if you had the right telescope. Our black hole, on the other hand, is actually very sedate. Uh, somebody said, uh, I, one of the scientists yesterday had an analogy. He said that our black hole, it would be a bit like if, uh, if, you, if, if our black hole was a human, it would consume about one grain of uh, rice every thousand years. Right. So it's really not a voracious black hole mm -hmm. that's sucking everything into it. You wouldn't hear the screaming cries of the damned being sucked <laughs> into the black hole because it's just not that kind of a black hole. And the next question, of course, is Leo, and I wonder will we ever know what's on the other side of them? 
Well, that, that is, I mean, in, an, in another interesting consequence of Einstein's theories and Albert himself, my old friend Albert, you don't mind if I use his first name, I think. Um, my, my, Albert uh, used to say that um, he was convinced that there are things called wormholes which uh, connect uh, black holes. And uh, Albert Einstein believed that if you went, if you could go into a black hole, you could come out another black hole uh, at a different time and space. So you could actually transcend time and space by going through a wormhole uh, between two black holes. He really now, was the first scriptwriter for Star Trek, wasn't he, Leo, to be fair to the man? He surely was. And, you know, PJ, just, just to make one point, um, you were saying, you know, Albert Einstein was also right. He was actually wrong once. Was he? Uh, yeah, in a really interesting way, because Albert Einstein said um, that our universe uh, must be static mm. because um, the because of his equations that it can't be expanding. Yeah. Uh, that it, that it must be static, and so uh, when when astronomers began to detect evidence that stars were moving away from us, and that there was some sort of expansion going on, Albert went back and he changed his equations because he thought that his original equation was wrong. Mm. But it now turns out that his original equation, he didn't quite understand it, but it was his original equation that predicted the expansion of the universe that we now know and detect yes, with our massive telescopes. So the, the poor man, he, he, he wobbled <laughs> and he changed. So he's a bit like the goalie, uh, you know, during a free kick. And the, um. and the goalie goes, thinks he's about to go one way, but then he goes the other way and doesn't the ball go in the other side? Somebody um, wants to know, Leo, was he a religious man? Not particularly. No, he was. He was. He was. Uh, he was a secular Jew. Um, and uh, no, he. he um, what Einstein said, and what a lot of scientists say, uh, who don't want to be offensive about it. What what Einstein said uh, is that that the uh, our science does not require God. Oh. Um, what we see as scientists in 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 the universe, we we would say um, does not require God. So, in other words, um, the most scientists, and not all by any means, there are eminent scientists who who will tell you to your face that uh, that people who believe in God are delusional. But most scientists uh, will say will be polite about it, and most scientists will say it's not required. That's a very interesting uh, for for the universe to exist. But in other words, there's nothing to stop there being a God if you want to believe that. Uh, but the, the the scientific position would be that she is not essential to the process. <laughs> she. Okay, that's a whole other discussion. Leo, we have a lunar eclipse on the 16th, which is Monday. Now, it doesn't look like we'll be able to see much because the weather forecast is bad. But if oh, we can no. see... Yeah. Uh, what, what would we see if we could see it? Oh, that, that's really disappointing because, uh, PJ, you won't know what you're going to see till you see it. Um, that's one of the great things about lunar eclipses. They're, they're never boring because you never know what the moon is going to look like during a lunar eclipse for a very simple reason, PJ. Um, if, for instance, there's a bit of an L storm brewing uh, in the Sahara Desert and there's a lot of dust in the atmosphere, 
we we will get a blood red moon on Monday night, Tuesday mm. morning. Wow. Um, if if uh, if for, if the sky if the skies around the Earth are generally free, I don't think there are any big volcanoes at the moment. I just I can't think immediately of any major eruption. So you know, if, if there is a lot of material in the atmosphere, it'll be a much dark, dark, uh, brighter color, dark red. Blood. Okay. It'll be more like almost a blue moon. Wow. Um, so so you just never. Ah, the line is gone. We'll, we'll hope, Leo, that the uh, weather holds and that we get a clear sky on Monday night. The great Leo L. Enright, space correspondent. Uh, thanks for that. He's still there. Are you still there? We'd be hoping for better I'm weather. I'm still there. Oh, yeah, you're fading on. Indeed. I thought you were getting sucked into the black hole. <laughs> <laughs> so, Monday night, I'm... Moon is up there all night, so the, we might see we might see blood red if we get a clear sky or something like that. Yeah, but it'll be four four in the morning, PJ, uh, for the actual uh, total eclipse. Okay, we'll, we'll, we might even get up and see if the night is clear. We we'll get up and see. Leo, thank you. Uh, always full of information about science and space and everything to do with it. That's Leo Enright. Buongiorno, buongiorno. I'm drowning my sorrows. I'm out in the streets of Turin today to give you a little bit, to get a colour in the background of oh, noise man. and traffic and people talking. I'm here drowning my sorrows into a cappuccino. And um, yeah, we, and for the first time, Jay, uh, uh, PJ, it is, there is genuine disappointment here. I mean, we actually thought we were in. I mean, there are a few times I've, I've, I've lost count of the number of these phone calls I've had with you the day after Eurovision 75 finals when we haven't qualified and I said well we never really had a chance and so on but this year no we actually thought we were going to be the 10th one called out so it went very flat in the hall when we heard Serbia was the 10th qualifier yeah. and not us because but, you know, it is what it is the, the number of, of different accounts that are taken I they did one when they ran decibel levels on the crowd and we yeah. were second only last night to Sweden well, there you go. And it was, a, I mean, mind you, there's a lot of Irish in that hall last night. Was there? I'd say, I'd say the streets of Balahi were very quiet last night because every second person I met walking around the, the arena was from, from, from County Derry. So uh, there's broken a huge support base in the hall there last mm. night. But no, it is disappointing. And then the worst thing is, like, you're out later on and then you see a, 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 tweet, a tweet, tweet from uh, Brooke and she's in tears and she's thanking everyone and saying mm. this is the best she could have done and it's heartbreaking I mean yeah. she's she's a young performer this is her big chance and she's devastated she, but she's listen a, you know her, her interviews Dermot she is incredibly likeable isn't she she is and I think she will she will certainly grow from this I mean good example um, you remember Sarie the British singer here a couple of years ago she had a stage invasion in Lisbon when the guy ran on and yes. knocked her down yes. she, she lost her mark well she now is a huge very popular among the fan base and she was here last night in the Euro Club and uh, and she got an enormous reaction and welcome and there's a singer like four years ago was in Eurovision but she's she's used it as a really good building you know, building block to a very very nice yeah. career for herself she did by the way cover that Swedish song uh, Hold Me Closer and for the first time I thought to myself actually now I get it now I know why that song's very yeah. popular yeah. beautiful yeah. beautiful song that Swedish song you would be left asking though Dermot wouldn't you after last night God what do we have to do she nailed it and we still didn't make it what do we have to do 
I just think, you know, at the end of the day, uh, PJ, it's about a good song. And, you know, people said, oh, send something traditionally Irish and that'll do well. But we've, we've sent Barrons and Tin Whistles and that mm. got us nowhere as well. I mean, the last one that made it through was Ryan O'Shaughnessy a couple of years ago in Lisbon with the song uh, Together. Now, did that get through because the two lads doing the dancing and the thing was, they made it very memorable? Or was it a very sweet, nice song? Who knows? I think also, I think we kind of missed a trick this year. If you look at the way the songs have got qualified, huge number of ballads have made it in. I think the whole second half of the contest You're is right. just ballads. You're right. And we put an up, so we put an up-tempo song in the year the audience wanted ballads. That, that could just be as simple as that. Could indeed. It could indeed. And uh, the, the, looking to what might win it now, you did mention the UK and keep an eye on Sam Ryder. And a very good running order now. I think he's in 22nd in yeah. the running order. And we saw a clip of it last night uh, during the show. Yeah, it's I, really I, I have a little bit here. It's a very nice sing-along song. He has an extraordinary voice and a huge social media following. Yeah, 12 million, I think, on TikTok. Uh, he was a real breakout star during lockdown. He put his basic singing in his kitchen. And he just became amazingly popular on that platform. And he's going down the storm here. Very nice guy, very popular, uh, very popular among the delegates as well. So, and to be honest with you, the UK were stung last year. They got zero, yeah. zero from the jury, zero from the public. It was, and the BBC really did not like that. No, no, no. And in fairness to them, they've, they've come back fighting. And I think RTE kind of have to do the same. I think the RTE should dust themselves down. I, I mean, we have some great performers. We've Dermot Kennedy, we've any number of brilliant singers in Ireland. Yeah. And, you know, the, the talent is there. Oh, no doubt about it. Just, it's, no doubt about it. Now, uh, I'd, I'd still think it's Ukraine's to, to lose oh. Dermot, and I, I think you'd agree with me there. It's game over. I saw they, they, they were given 12th in the running order. Remember, I, I said to you the other day, yeah. if, they, if they wanted to try and stop them, they put them on in number two, which is the graveyard mm. slot. But actually, you know, they see that they drew their first half. They drew first half of the draw. So this producers could have slotted them in anywhere from song one to song 12. And they gave them the latest possible one yeah. in that running order. So I think it's game over. I, I think it'll walk yeah. it. I, think can't, I can't see them not winning. Really. Which, which it, you know, it, it, there's, there's, there's far and against that. But if I had a favourite, if I had to pull out a favourite... And our good friend Ken O'Sullivan was pushing this one during the week. I think this is astonishing. Sweden, Cor- oh, yeah. Cornelia, she's fabulous. I mean, in in a in, in a real world, that would be a walkaway winner, I think. I think it, I think it hoovered up the jury vote last night, and it will hoover up the jury vote on on Saturday as well. So it is one that might. I mean, the, the only, I mean, the way to stop Ukraine. I mean, I'm not saying stop Ukraine. But the Ukraine would need to be in the top five off the juries if it's to realistically uh, win it with the with the with the very big uh, telly vote. But yes. if it's sweet, if if Ukraine is down seventh or eighth and Sweden is winning it, I think then it's game on because um, I say Sweden could come mm. up the tracks and, and take it from them. Yeah, because well, it's not it, then of course then, and then of course they they join Ireland as the only country to have won seven times. It's we share our record. It's, it's a wonderful song. I think she would walk away with it if it, if it was just we, we didn't have the whole political. Thing. Turin's a beautiful city, Dermot. Were you ever there before? No, first time, uh, uh, PJ. And it's it is lovely. It's 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 austere grandeur, as yeah. someone described it to me. And that's kind of a good. It's kind of you know it's very big squares and with nothing on them. You know, like there's no <laughs> shops or cafes or you know it's kind of it's very nice to look at. It's pretty, right. but uh, and the people here have no idea. But I'm sitting here in a cafe like there's no nothing about Eurovision up, no music playing. People aren't talking about. It. It's kind of passing them by, which is a pity. Uh, but, 
but the fans, but the fans, but the fans are loving it. The fans when, are loving it. When you think that Mill Street is still spending the money they made in the 90s. Dermot, thank you as always and enjoy the gig uh, tomorrow night. Enjoy the final tomorrow night. Dermot Manning joining us live from the streets of Turin. Reminded to you, the Premier League live end of season show. Sunday week, May 22nd with Trevor and the team, powered by TalkSport. Uh, brought to you by Now Stream Live Premier League action with the Now Sports or Sports Extra membership. Your sports on your terms. Stream only the games that matter to you most with Now and listen Saturday on the Cork's 96FM app or go to 96FM.ie. Right. I left this too late. I left it too late. The response to Colin Bork when he put it to the Minister of Foreign Affairs with regard to the J-1 visas. It was a written reply to a parliamentary question. Effectively, it said that the Minister can't interfere, the Minister can't get involved, but the Department has told him that it is doing its level best to minimise the waiting times for people awaiting J-1 visa applications. I'll read it to you in more detail on Monday, but that's the gist of it. The Minister can't get involved, but the Department is doing its best. And I promise I'll read it in full on Monday morning. That's it. The programme edited by Fiona Corker and produced and researched by Fergal Barry. We've been busy bees. Take a break now. Enjoy the weekend. Enjoy the sunshine. See you Monday just after nine. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie. You're listening to highlights from the Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. Hear the full show on our app, by podcast, or on 96FM.ie. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.